I'll be reading from John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the day the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is God's word. You may be seated. Inside of the announcement sheet is an outline that you can use as we go through our lesson this morning on John chapter 13. And then down at the bottom of that outline, there are some questions that will be used in our small groups tonight. So you want to read those questions and then be thinking about the responses you might have. And then go to a small group tonight and have a lot of fun dealing with this text in your small group tonight. Uh, Let's begin with a word of prayer and ask God to bless us as we get ready to study His Word. Father, in all of our comings and goings, all of our dealings, our thoughts, in our our moments of daydreaming, in our laser-like focus during the tasks of this day, we are grateful. We are grateful to You that in all of those times in our day, You are never far from us. We are never out of your presence. Our prayer, Father, is that we will allow your presence to shape the way that we live in all of our comings and goings, in all of our daydreaming, in all of our work, in all of our focus. That you will, by your very presence and word, and all of your blessings and gifts, shape us into the kind of people that represent you in a very visible, tangible way in our community. And as we think about this this incredibly singular moment in the history of our world where your Son washed His disciples' feet, we pray that you will give our heart and mind, the eyes and the ears, to see and to hear in such a way that our lives are changed forever and ever, to your glory. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we're in a series that we're calling uh, This Is Us. The idea of This Is Us comes from the TV show. The This Is Us family is a family that is like no other. 
And when you think about it, all of the people that God brings together through salvation in His Son and putting His Spirit inside of them in order to transform them into disciples, into the kind of human beings that they were always intended to be, I think it's very accurate to say that the church is a family like no other. And since it's been a couple of weeks since I've been up here uh, speaking, by way of review, I think it's, it would be important to kind of think again about those things that we've considered over the last couple of weeks as we think about the church as a this-is-us kind of family. Number one, we are the people who make it better. We are the people who make it better. In a world where weaknesses are scrutinized and then they're publicized, we are the people that wherever we go, it might be inside of our neighborhoods, it might be at school, It might be at work. It may be wherever we find ourselves. We're going to run into people who are struggling or people that are are sarcastic or people that are jaded or people that are just downright mean. And they're creating problems for everyone else around them, sometimes even for us. But we are the people who make it better. One of the ways that Peter describes Jesus in Acts chapter 10 as he's preaching to the household of Cornelius is that he describes Jesus as somebody who went around doing good. We are the people who stand out in our community and in our church, as the people who make it better. Number two, we are the people who live for Him because He died for us. That means we are a people. That means that we, when we deny ourselves and live for Him, we are a people, biblically speaking, using that language, we are the people who have died to ourselves. And one of the things that Jesus teaches in all of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, is pertinent to us in this this particular moment. But wherever you find Jesus teaching about discipleship, He's going to say something like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny himself, pick up a cross, and follow me daily. That's Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. The reason we make it better is because we've died to ourselves in order to live for Him. And then number three, and this was the last message we had before um, the, the, um, I, I was out for uh, two weeks. We are the people who choose to be unoffendable. We are the people who choose to be unoffendable. And that doesn't mean that during our day that we're going to go somewhere. It might be work. It might be the neighborhood. It might be school. That there's going to be something. That it might even be in this church from time to time. We're going to run into a moment. We're going to run into a person who's going to say something or they're going to do something or they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to post something on social media that is going to be upsetting to us. And what we cannot allow happen, and Jesus never allowed this to happen in His life, is for people to be separated from this church one offense at a time. We are the people that represent the king, and thus we live like him. And you'll remember there was that day in which Jesus goes in John chapter 4 to that well near the village of Sychar. And here comes a woman, a Samaritan woman, who would be by all other recordings or reckonings, would be offensive to him. She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. And both of those, he, he would draw back if he was a typical human being and not engage her. But on top of that, not only is she a Samaritan a woman, but she's had a not-so-great record with men relationships. Therefore, she's not only offensive to Jewish people, she's offensive to Samaritans in her own village. And yet Jesus does not allow any of that to stand in the way of engaging her in such a way that he brings the kingdom into her life. There was another time when Jesus is at a dinner with a bunch of Pharisees. They're having a a banquet and a feast. 
And the next thing you know, the room goes quiet and the, everybody's looking around. What is going on? Because here has come a known sinner, a woman, a known sinner in that town, probably a prostitute, who comes into that banquet. And she does something unbelievably uh, gracious and kind and daring in that setting. She takes some perfume and pours it on his head, pours it on his feet, begins to weep in all the presence, and, and, and uses her hair to wipe his feet. It scandalized everybody in that room except the Lord. And then there's Jesus on his way to Jerusalem over in, in Luke. And he's going through Jericho. And there's this sawed-off social misfit named Zacchaeus who is offensive to everyone in that region because not only is he a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector, which means that he's the one that has made his contracts, made his life with the Romans instead of his own people, and they see him as a betrayer. But he's heard about Jesus. And as Jesus is going through that town, this guy wants to see Jesus so badly that because he's short, and I have an affinity for a guy like Zacchaeus, climbs a tree a sycamore tree, and as Jesus is going by, he sees this fella who wants to see him so badly that he does this, this, uh, this, this very unprideful thing, this very, this very out of character for his, his status in Jericho, this, this out of character thing by climbing a tree in order to see him. And Jesus looks up and says, short stuff, come down, because I'm going to eat with you today. Everybody else found him offensive, would never share a taco with him. But Jesus is not, is not offendable in that way when it comes to engaging people for the kingdom of God. Jesus cared enough for all people to be crucified for their sins. And he would not be put off by the iniquities that scandalized other people from engaging people for the sake of their souls. There is a quote that I've thought about from C.S. Lewis. It's found in Mere Christianity. Over the years, He's, he says, you know, I can remember Christian teachers telling me long ago that I must hate a bad man's actions, but not hate the bad man. Or, as they would say, hate the sin, but not the sinner. I used to think that this was silly, straw-splitting distinctions. How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I had been doing this all my life. Myself. However much I might dislike my cowardice or conceit or greed i went on loving myself there had never been the slightest difficulty about it in fact the very reason why i hated the things was that i loved the man just because i loved myself i was sorry to find that i was the sort of man who did these things here's the verse we're going to look at and focus on this morning it's found from the lips of Jesus, Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Now, let me ask something, and, and this is so uh, idiotic, it is sort of you know, is insulting to even ask it, but ask it I must. Can we agree that Jesus was really smart and he knew what he was talking about. Can we agree on that? What Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 20, as a smart man who knows what he's talking about, is that a, a boring, disastrous, destructive life is one that is self-centered. 
and a life that is fruitful, and a life that has meaning and significance, not just now, but for all of eternity, is a life that has, at the very core of it, the will of God and not our own will. What Jesus is saying, in other words, is up here on the screen, is that my life works best when it's not about me. Can we say that together as a church? My life works best when it is not about me. Let's say it again, and let's raise this roof. My life works best when it's not about me. You know, near the end of Jesus' life, and, and this is sort of ironic, and yet we find ourselves doing the same thing. Near the end of his life, the, the, the disciples of Jesus are jockeying with each other for position. They're arguing over who is going to be the greatest. Who is, who's going to sit on the right hand? Who's going to sit on the left hand? Who is going to have a name? Who's going to have the most power? Who's going to have the most prestige? Who's going to have the acclaim? Who's going to have the authority? They're at the last meal that they will ever share with Jesus, and they don't even know it yet. This idea, this problem of pride and acclaim, they're not just issues of Western modern culture. It's an ancient issue. And these disciples are with Jesus, and they're disputing with one another. That's what, that's what, what Luke calls it. They think that Jesus is about to come into his own. That he is about to become Jesus the Christ. He is going to be recognized by everyone as the Christ. It's a big deal. He's, at, he's going to be at the zenith of His power and authority. And guess what? We're there with Him. We're there with Him. And so, as Luke says, they begin to dispute, which means in men talk, that they, the elbow started to get a little sharp. And they, they begin to get a little cutting with each other. And Jesus has to address it. And so this part of it is happening in Luke chapter 22 they're having this this last meal together he turns to him and he says fellas the kings of the gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors now that's an interesting uh, observation on the part of jesus if we think about it for just a second he says you know there's a certain kind of a human way of thinking it's delusional and it's erroneous and it's not right but there's a way of thinking that we can, we can exercise authority over people and think that we're doing them a favor. That we're the benefactor and in our lording it over them that they are the beneficiary of something great. Jesus says, you're not to be like that. As clear a statement on our identity as he can make. All these people out here, and they are lording it, and it's about authority, and it's about, a, it's about power. You are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest, and that's what they've been talking about. Who's going to be the greatest? The greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules, like one who, what, church? Serves. And then he asked them a question. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? And they're all going, well, that's an easy one. It's the one that sits down at the table and has all the servants. And he says, is it not the one who's at the table? They go, yeah. Within these incredible words, I want you to memorize this week. But I am among you as one who, what? Serves. I think from time to time, all disciples of Jesus need to hear this or be reminded of it. 
as we struggle with the world's view of power, or its definitions of happiness, or its, ex- its examples of success. Very soon, I mean not long after these events are taking place, Jesus is going to allow Himself. He's going to allow Himself to be betrayed into the hands of His enemies. He's going to allow Himself to be mocked. He's going to allow Himself to be punched in the face. He struck him in the face, and, to, and, and he's going to be spat upon. He is going to allow himself to be brutally tortured, unjustly accused. And then he's going to allow himself to be cruelly crucified. Jesus of Nazareth served us. He served us in allowing those things to happen for our salvation when He had the means for it not to happen. How on earth is identity? But I am among you as one who serves. And here He gives them a visual. Two points I want you to write down. Humble defines the trajectory of the Christ-like life. Humble defines the trajectory of the Christ-like life. The second thing I want you to write down is that service is not something we do. Service is who we are. It's a big difference. A a huge difference. Uh, Service is, if, 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 if it's just something that we do, then we do it when it's convenient, we do it when we're comfortable, we do it if it's inside of our Our bubble. But it becomes something completely different when we see ourselves primarily as servants of Jesus of Nazareth. At the beginning of the passage, Jesus knows that He's going back to the Father. He's going back to where He was from time before there was a creation, before there was a heaven and earth. He's going back to the Father and going back to that. It is a veiled reference to the Incarnation. Think of Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, where he's, Paul writes, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, He's God the Son. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself what? He made Himself what, church? He made Himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, and not just any death, even death on a cross. And so knowing that this is the trajectory of his life and what is ahead of him and what's ahead of them, and now they're, 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 they're jockeying with each other, elbowing each other. No, I'm the greatest. No, well, I saw what you said you know, about that person over there in Jericho. I'm going to be greater than that. I mean, they're, 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 you know how men are. They're everything. They, they forget nothing. And they're elbowing each other, and they're beginning to jockey. Jesus in a room of intimate friends. And these intimate friends know that He is the Son of the living God. They, some of them, a couple of them, have been up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they have seen with their own eyes His glory revealed to them without the veil. 
in this room of intimate friends who have as clear an idea of who he is as anyone on the planet, he gets up from the head place at the table, at the triclinium. He gets up, he strips down to just a towel around his waist. He disrobes and puts a towel around his waist. He walks to where they're lying down, where their feet are. And he bends over their feet and begins to wash their feet. The place is quiet. I mean, in a world before there were Nike running shoes and Justin boots and Jimmy Choo high heels and Crocs, human feet were nauseatingly disgusting. Ancient feet were covered with goo and wrapped in a vile stench. And so horrific was this duty, was this washing of ancient feet, that laws were written and enacted to protect people from being forced to wash the feet of others. Jesus could have said, well, you know, their feet are their feet. They walk where they walk. They choose where they step. The dirtiness and the filthiness and the stench of their feet, that's not my fault. That's on them. This is their responsibility, not mine. Jesus could have said that their feet was not his problem. But he doesn't. Jesus says instead, it's not my fault that their feet are dirty. But, because of who I am, and because of the trajectory of my life, I will stoop down, I will bend down. I will wash their dirty, calloused, smelly, crusty, ugly feet. I sometimes wonder if the feet is a metaphor for the human heart. That Jesus also takes care of. He says, I am going to make that my job. And from the moment that Jesus stepped out of His glory in the presence of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, until He's scrubbing the toes and the heels of these disciples who are needing to learn a little bit more about what it means to live in light of a relationship with the Christ. He is living on a very humble trajectory that will land Him on a cross in service of mankind. He's going to take care of problems that are not His. He's going to take care of issues that He is not responsible for. It's not His fault. It is ours. It takes a loving and humble man to take care of needs that are not His fault. And quite frankly, church, we will never do a very good job of loving God and loving people and changing the world until we learn to be humble like this. That it is not about me. And it's not about you. It is about God the Father and His kingdom and the gospel coming to reside in people's hearts in such a way that they recognize the beauty and the majesty and the love and the grace of a God who would do this for us. You, you know, the really startling thing in this passage, though, when we think about it, is the ease with which He does all of this. They're, they're struggling. He sees the dirty feet. 
He doesn't have to make time for it. He doesn't have to rearrange his schedule. He doesn't have to deliberate. He doesn't have to psych himself up. He doesn't have to get down and start doing some push-ups and some jumping jacks and then do it. He doesn't deliberate. He's not coerced into doing it. He just does it. Why? Because that's who he is. He can serve in this way because it's in his nature to make it better. He can serve in this way because he had died to self a long time before the cross ever came into view. And he can serve in this way because he couldn't be offended uh, out of washing and meeting their needs in love. And that is what is so shocking about these fellows, or to, to to these men. I mean, they would not have had a problem washing their own feet. They might have had a little bit of a problem with washing each other's feet. I mean, you know how guys are when it comes to touching each other. But they are stunned and astonished. And not a little put off like Peter. That he would try to wash their feet. And after he's done, puts his his clothes back on, he sits down, and they're, they're, they're just looking at him. I think they're probably used to, to being stunned into silence. And Jesus says something incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. What Jesus is saying is that that you see the trajectory uh, trajectory of my life. You know the humble beginnings. Born in a manger, son of a carpenter, little burg out in the middle of, you know, just the other side of nowhere. Washing feet, about to die on the cross. He is giving his trajectory and life to them. He's saying to them, since I stooped, I want you to stoop for other people. Dirty feet did not get in the way of Jesus loving others. And it becomes a reality in our own life when it's not about me, becomes more than just a cliche, but it becomes a way that we live. Let me give you one practical thing to do this week. I want you to find a place to serve that is outside your comfort zone. Just one. Spend some time thinking about it. Spend some time in prayer asking God to show me a place where it's not just about service. Because we serve all the time and most of it, it and, and there's nothing wrong with this. Please don't hear me say that service you know, only outside of your comfort zone is, is valid. It's not. Service is service. But to serve like this, to serve like the Christ, to make it not about us, is to be able to go outside of our own personal boundaries, our own personal bubble, our own comfort zones, to serve the needs of human beings around us in the name of Jesus. It's a place where you can say, a place of service, where you can say, it's not about me, but it's about Him. And Jesus asked at one point, If you only love people who love you back, isn't that just like an investment? 
that you're loving people in, in, in a way to get a return? Everybody loves like that. You're to love differently. It's the same thing with service. Service is not about my time, my schedule, my comfort zone, my boundaries, even my gifts, because it's not about me. It's about a door that opens to a need that God opens for a faithful servant of Jesus of Nazareth to walk through and to meet a need. I know it's tough. How do we get there? I think it takes prayer. I think it takes, it, it takes intentionality. But I think that it also begins by admitting to one degree or another that at heart we're Peter's. That we're just like Peter Barjona. Sitting there at the table, he's watching all of this, and he's just growing more and more indignant as time goes by. He can't figure out why Jesus is doing this. And the reason is because he's really vested in his culture's view of power and prestige, so, so much so that he doesn't see the danger. The real reason Peter can't figure it out is because he does not know that he himself is in danger. He's in dire straits. He doesn't know it. It hasn't dawned on Peter that he needs a foot-washing Savior one who is willing to humble himself to a death on a cross. And that's how it changes us. We can be foot-washing servants because we have a foot-washing Savior. We're going to sing a song right now that's to honor God and to praise God. It's also an opportunity for, for you, if you have never given your life to the Christ, to allow Him to serve you through the gospel in reconciling you to God and recognizing that He is the King of your life. And to do that by being baptized and, and by changing your life through repentance, receiving God's gift of the Holy Spirit in order to become the human being you were always intended to be. Or it might be that you haven't been living very faithfully. You've allowed, you've allowed things to come in and distract you. Whatever it might be. It may be that you just need the prayers of the church. We're going to have some shepherds down here at the front to meet you for whatever need you might have. And we want you to come down and express those needs as we stand and sing the song of prayer. The splendor of a king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice 